0: You are listening to episode 38 of the Lewis and Kyle Show with Brandon Zhang.
1: If we're talking about mental wealth, like we should probably not be using Twitter and Instagram and these very addictive social media um, platforms to get your attention, right?
2: Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. If you're new to our podcast, we're excited to have you. Lewis and I are students at the University of Alabama, and we're on a journey to deconstruct success stories of interesting entrepreneurs, investors, and people making a big impact on their world. Today, we share with you our interview with Brandon Zong, an up and coming thinker who's blasted onto the Twitter scene, amassing over 8,000 Twitter followers in 2020. He's an apprentice to Jack Butcher at Visualize Value who actually made the visuals for the Navalmanac, a book written by our last guest, Eric Jorgensen.
0: In this conversation, we talk about the role of mentors in Brandon's come up to the Twitter scene and how taking online courses from people like David Perell and Jack Butcher have accelerated his learning and progress. We also talk about how he's used Twitter as a way to make friends on the internet and connect with role models. And in general, we get into some of his tips and strategies and philosophy around building an audience. You know, it's interesting how we found Brandon in the first place was because of a Twitter thread where Perel or someone like that put out, you know, who's under 10K on Twitter and needs more attention. And everyone put up Brandon and I was like, I need to check this guy out because literally every response to this thread is about Brandon. Uh, It's kind of funny. I re-listened to this conversation right before we're recording this and we re-recorded it uh, a few weeks back. And that was before Brandon had done some of the interviews that were coming together as we were recording this, uh, which was really interesting to see how Uh, things have progressed even just in the two weeks, separating us recording this conversation now and the initial podcast. But anyway, I think y'all will really enjoy hearing Brandon's thoughts on all these different topics. So I'm just gonna cut to the audio. What's up, Brandon? Thanks for coming on. We're excited to chat with you.
1: Thank you for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Absolutely. I want to start out by asking kind of for your backstory a little bit of you've been doing so much and what from the outside looks like it's just been a short couple of months so kind of you share kind of what the beginning point was we Kyle and I like to ask a lot about inflection points what was that moment for you that kind of put you on the path you're you're on right now
1: yeah I think for me the inflection point was honestly seeing what um COVID has done to like like what what my previous plans were this summer and so I'm graduating I graduated high school in 2020 so all of the previous plans to travel and everything like that obviously was canceled. So I was like, Hmm, like what can I do to kind of leverage this summer? And and because I'm not going to be able to do what I originally planned, um, how can I do that? And one area of this was, was getting on Twitter. And I actually started writing a bit before that. I probably started writing around four to five months ago. Um, Some of the very, very first posts I kind of deleted. um, They were pretty bad. And, um, I, I wasn't really sure what I was writing about, um, but yeah, once I kind of discovered Twitter, and I feel like yeah, I, I always reference COVID as this as this inflection point because it's almost like you're replacing some of the previous connections you had made, um, and you can't, you aren't able to see um, during quarantine with people that you met on Twitter over the internet, um, and and be able to learn from them. And so for me, that was like seeing the quality of people on Twitter, seeing. Uh, like you can actually create like strong relationships with these different people was kind of the turning point for me where I was like okay like this is like a really great resource I could tap into
2: yeah absolutely COVID like represents to me a very clear wall as to like before and after and before you you think you can predict the future right you think you know it's going to happen next but like it just demolished that assumption in me at least that I really you just don't know what's coming next but during that time when you know you realize that you have to figure out how to leverage it you took some online courses right to uh kind of improve yourself what did you take and, and how did they influence you
1: yeah I guess chronologically it kind of went like I took write a passage which is a, a live course and it's honestly five weeks long probably it's how they advertised and basically I kind of like I was like, this is very much like the logical next step. And I kind of, I've, I, discovered David uh, through his podcast, actually, was my first kind of interaction with him and seeing his stuff out there. But then, like, like I said, when I came out to Twitter like four, four months ago, I was like, yeah, this guy, like his insights are really profound. I read his guide on writing online. I'm like, he has a really unique angle. So I feel like this would be a good, almost like accelerator program for me. And so in the middle of the five weeks, I had been podcasting uh, probably consistently maybe for two or th- uh, so weeks before that. But then I was able to uh, get on an episode with Jack, who I had l- really looked up to, um, kind of in conjunction with David, almost like at similar kind of time periods. And after the conversation, Jack was just like, oh, here are two different courses I think you you might enjoy. You should take them. And I took those almost like during rite of passage um, because they're kind of shorter, they're asynchronous. One is called how to visualize value, which is about how do you can design things. Um, But to me, instead of it being super focused on design, what my bigger takeaway from that was how you can distill a really complex topic and show it really clearly. Um, So that has helped me more in terms of like, writing or when i'm hosting someone on the show like trying to get at what they're actually talking about and so after taking those three courses i think like i had a really good understanding of like how i how much i could produce and what kind of topics i want to produce in not necessarily what other people might consider like a niche yet i don't think i've kind of fully want to go like all in on one area I feel like for me like the podcast is very much an exploratory mechanism where it's just a way to talk with interesting people and niching that down would would be detrimental to kind of uh, what the audience is looking for and and although it might lead to a certain growth if I like maybe perhaps went all in on like startups or something but it might not be tr- what I truly want yet so it's still very much early on for me so the online course space I feel like is just so underrated I feel like it's a bad rap in in certain senses because of um some of the courses out there that are solely kind of driven by kind of this idea behind making money and passive income and things like that and and some of those courses are are legit and 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 do have merit to them but I think that the there's a different uh kind of almost like characteristic to some of these other courses, which are focused on providing you strictly the skills um, to any sort of, uh, to like a very basic skill, right? So write a passage teaches you how to write, um, how to visualize value, teaches you how to design. Like these are things you can apply everywhere. Whereas I feel like some of the the other courses are just so focused on one thing that they're kind of too limiting in a sense.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Perel's kind of, Redesigning the online course with rite of passage, or or at least like reimagining what it can be, and it, it comes with this community, right, where you meet all these people. And I know you were talking about in your podcast with them the, how the breakout rooms, the one-on-one, really define that experience for you. And, uh, and I think that is kind of what's missing in like college right now for me. Is I'm taking all these asynchronous uh, online classes where there's no community participation and it just, it makes it difficult. So building that into these online courses, just making them more and more valuable. Um, I think that like for you though, you know, you're able to turn a lot of these courses directly into action by posting on Twitter, by making this podcast. So it seems that you've been doing the podcast a little bit before, but like just really, you know, behavior change type of things where you continue to do it. And I know that when you started your podcast, you listed like six people who were dream guests of yours like Austin Lieberman, James Clear, a couple others. And at this point, you've interviewed uh, over half, I think it's five out of six people. Um, Why those six? Why why were those the ones that you wanted to interview? And what was your strategy for getting to them and connecting with them?
1: Yeah, so I think for me, it wasn't kind of like the inception inception of my podcast. I think the first three or four episodes of my podcast was I talked to a lot of um, strictly like college students. Cause like my original vision was like, Oh, like talking to college students would be really cool to give insights to younger students. But I realized like, that's not kind of like what I enjoyed. Like uh, some of the insights were, were really profound in a sense, but there's only so much like college students could talk about in a sense when it's so they're so similar in that regard yet where they haven't been able to have the time to branch out yet. And so kind of like when I was moving on to this next stage where I was like, who do I want that is really interesting to me? I kind of looked at these people and I thought like each of them, I could see myself um, kind of in their path or like going down that route. And so each of them, I had also like a decent level of interaction with before, like i had been following their work before. And I think that's the key to running a good podcast, right? It's it's like, it's a lot easier for me to prepare for like a James Clear because I've read Atomic Habits like twice already. And so really like, I feel like I'm going into a conversation with someone I already know. Whereas if it's someone like that you're not as familiar with, it's a lot harder to prep. But for me, like reaching out to these people, I think it was really just a a product of really consistent output. I think most of my connections I make are through Twitter and I think it's just like Twitter is so underrated because you're getting in front of the eyes of so many people. Like you might not be getting that many likes, but if you look into it and you kind of dig deep, like the amount of impressions you have is like really, really impressive. Like last month, I think I had like 2.4 million, which like, I would never have expected at the start, right? Like, and, and because of that, like you also have to factor in that's like, you probably get in front of some some of these people's eyes, like without really even like them thinking about you. But once you DM them again, you'll be familiar to them. You'll be like, "Oh, I've seen you before." And I feel like that's what I get from a lot of my guests. Like they're always like, "Oh, I've seen you pop up on Twitter before. What is your kind of um, deal and things like that?" And they're curious about that. And I th- I, I say this idea of like consistent iteration because. Like, I think the reason uh, we'll just use the James C example, because I feel like it's probably like my biggest guest that I've had on, and I think like the product of me being able to ask him to come on the show was because I think he posted a, a tweet the, the around a month ago where it was like, "Who is under 10k and deserves to be followed or is like underrated in a sense," and I got tagged a bunch of times, and I think that the only reason it was almost like I was at the right place at the right time. I'd probably been around a month or so of being on Twitter and and I was posting pretty consistently and the content areas were pretty consistent. And so people were inclined because they're like, oh, this guy's already very consistent and his content is generally around the same stuff to tag me in the post. And so I think, and then he followed me and then I decided to reach out because I was like, oh, I'm not probably not gonna get another shot at this. Like it's probably best to ride the wave of, Familiarity and and there's a reason for me to con uh, to contact him right because he just followed me just to say like hello and so I think like a lot of it is, is down to the timing right you have to be to, to take advantage of those moments where you get in front of someone um, like I had a friend I think he he writes for Trends um, his name is Trung Fan I think he he just made a post a thread about like Elon Musk right and Elon began to comment on a stuff commented on that thread and, and began to talk with him and so yeah it's just like and then he went on to like have like multiple not multiple but like follow up and they had like a, a longer form conversation but just like going in and and really saying like oh this is like the one chance i have of interacting with you let me make the most of it and um like don't underestimate like how like close i guess you are to making that connection right Cause you're, you're putting con, if you're putting content out there, like you're increasing the likelihood that people have are familiar with you or are going to be impressed by, by what you're doing.
0: I think that's that thread. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of great value there to unpack. Um, maybe we'll get like an illustrator. who will visualize it for us. But I think that thread is where I found you in the first place. It might've been, I think Perel or someone may have copied that same idea. Like here are some Twitter accounts under 10 K that need more attention. And that's, I saw you like. 20 40 30 times on the same thread and I was like all right I'm gonna check this guy out and then you know see your work see your consistency see it every time I go on Twitter there's one or two or three of your tweets in the feed it's like okay and then I start to see the work you're putting out okay this this kid who's not even in college yet just put an interview with Perel he just put an interview out with Pump like this is someone I want to talk to because he's doing a great job at all the things I'm wanting to be able to do right now uh, and so that's just such a clear illustration of the truth behind all of those things I've recently been rereading the third door by Alex Bain and there's this line in there that when it's in front of you make your move you know mm-hmm. Alex is on the same mission right do all these amazing interviews and he had the good fortune which we don't have right now of being in Los Angeles where you literally just happen to bump into celebrities semi-frequently he's like so sees Larry King in a grocery store you you can't not take advantage of that opportunity to talk to him to ask him to another thing you see Tony Shea at some party or a TED conference and it's like well this is my one chance I've had this book on my bookshelf for months. Like I'm going to make this moment. And there's no reason you can't extrapolate that same principle to the digital world. And that's something you've done a great job at. And I think one way, kind of what you said there about serendipity that a previous guest brought to my attention, his name's Ivan, uh, is you find those people that you want to, you don't have to let those things be an accident, right? It doesn't have to be James clear makes this post that you're the perfect Twitter size in that frame of mind to be brought up you can put on post notifications for these people and consistently every single time that they come up with something like do your best to say something interesting. And eventually they're going to notice you. And then when they notice you in a great light, that's when you really you know strike up a conversation in a more direct way.
1: Yeah. I have a great example for that for, for Pomp. Um, I initially asked him to come on the show probably around pretty early. And it was like two, two months ago, almost. So like still season one, I think I just finished my interview with Jack and I was like just trying to just getting like more and more attention on the podcast then. And basically I asked him and he, he agreed, he responded. And afterwards I was like, it took, I, I tried to follow up two or three times, didn't respond. And then I was like, okay, maybe like, um, this is not going to happen. But then I unrelated, cause this was like a month later, I put out a thread where I was just like, I went, uh, cause right now pump tweets a lot about, um, Bitcoin and things like that. But in 2018-2019 he had a phase where he was like talking about like some of the characteristics of like the most successful people he's, he's seen mm-hmm. and been around and I, I was just like oh this is pretty cool so I went around and dug around his like 2018-2019 tweets um, to look for stuff that wasn't necessarily related to like finance or money or bitcoin and I, I made a quick thread about that and then he kind of like he saw me again I guess for, through that thread and he was just like Oh, he he like followed up on DM. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's let's schedule a time for this interview. Like, are you free this week? And so I think another kind of follow up to that is a lot of these people, they're not ignoring you. They're just really, really busy. So it's totally okay if you reach out two to three times, um, but also not completely push the envelope, never get mad, never repeat anything. Um, Try different calls to actions, try different channels, perhaps, Mm -hmm. um, and try and just keep that keep being very very friendly and keeping yourself um because there's definitely ways that the advice i just gave could go wrong but um yeah like getting in front of people is 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 the most important part like the frequency and and i think like adding on to the point you talked about like being on david's thread i think that was also like uh looping back to rite of passage is a product of being in that community um i think that What's different? What's important is that I think write a Passage showed me that you can actually make friends on Twitter, like people that you communicate with every day. I have one friend, Robbie Crabtree. You've probably seen him on Twitter. Seen him he, a couple
0: times, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's like a lawyer and a law professor. And after taking write a Passage, he was like, "Oh, I want to create like an equivalent, but for people that need to learn how to speak and communicate and tell story through 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 language." And so, um, kind of Robbie and I just kind of hit it off the bat. We're, we're pretty close to, and we decided to like every day it's not every day now but like Wednesday Thursday and Fridays so we get together in the morning and we write together we get on a call um keep each other accountable and and if we have any questions or things we want to talk about um talk to each other and there's a there's a bunch of people I also mention. a couple sometimes join us for our writing group but it just shows like right it's not after write a passage ended like my connection with these people didn't end and, and right like you be the fact that you can like get on a call with someone and i've never met robbie before i live in california he lives in texas like we we've like never really talked about things outside of like this we i mean we slowly are branching out but like it's just like so interesting that you can like make friends this way and i think like if you don't have like a deep rooted connection with someone it's it's hard for them to when they see that thread you have to be the first person that comes to mind right you have to be number one in their head so like i i'd say it's like similar to the patrick collison advice like do things that don't scale like double down on people you find interesting and you think are are, are cool and 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 go and make a deep connection with them instead of trying to have like mediocre connections with, with everyone in your following because it's not as uh the reward is not is not it's going to be as great
0: No, there are are a lot of good ideas. And I think you really gave us some examples there of some examples of mindful productivity. You know, doing that weekly co-working call is a low friction way to consistently get a lot done and is a low friction way to consistently be networking Mm -hmm. and continuing to maintain the important connections in your network that can lead to, uh, you know, serendipity and other things like that. And so I want to transition out to unpack some ideas from your writing because, you know, uh, we're kind of, this was the assumption up until this point in the interview that, your tweets were good. You know, that if you're just tweeting something crappy every day, right, you're not going to get any attention. You're just going to be the guy who puts out 7,000 bad tweets. Uh, but you actually have a lot of really, really interesting ideas that you talk about in your writing. Uh, and I want to first start out with one I found recently on your website, which is the personal user manual. Can you explain what that concept is and the the purpose of it?
1: Yeah, so I, I first, can, it's not my idea. First, I'd like to give credit to Steve Schlaffman, um, who I had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Steve is a Uh, he's a, what he calls himself is a recovering VC. So he's, he's not in VC anymore, but he uh, is a angel investor and a coach. And so I think he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to mindfulness and working in teams. And basically he did this exercise where he fills out basically a series of really introspective questions, but they're also, instead of like solely being focused on yourself, it's about kind of like how you work in a team or how you work with others. And it's just like, really forces you to be honest with yourself about like, what scenarios am I good in? What do I look for in other people? What is actually, what is it actually that I do that is better than everyone else? And so it's almost like a, been a replacement for a resume in some senses, where if you're just about to work on a new project with someone, or you're interested in learning more about them or working with them, sometimes you'll just forward it, um, to, Uh, whoever you're working with I found it been to be pretty useful and I think that it's inspired a lot of people especially people that aren't in like super traditional like corporate working settings to to do it because it kind of gives you those guiding principles um for how you operate and it gives you like almost like a set of requirements for like who you're looking for and so yeah like I said Robbie did one um but yeah the original idea was was from Schlaf and and one of and he worked with a good friend rishi Tripathi, he's now at on deck but i just thought that that exercise looks so looks so interesting
0: we got another question for you about rishi in a minute but i love that and it's been for people that especially maintain a public presence like you know yourself or your podcast guests or kyle and i had west ko on who worked with seth godin and the alt mba and she had this pretty much the same concept on her website of a <laughs> personal user manual it's like these are things that i get excited to talk about these are things that are boring to me these are things that annoy me and we just looked through that and we're like, let's not ask about this, let's ask about this. And she was in a great mood on the podcast because she told us what excites her to talk about and we asked about it. And so it kind of really helps, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling people how you prefer to work. And it's like amazing that if you actually do that and respect what people like, your relationship just is off to a great start. Uh, Kyle, you look like you had a question there. You wanna go for it?
2: Um, I was gonna ask you what, what are some highlights from your personal user manual? Like what gives you energy when you're, when you're working?
1: Yeah, I think for me, like the most powerful part of doing that was like really trying to think about like who I would want to work with. And I feel like that's almost a reflection of who I want to be to other people. And so I think that one area I need to get better at is I realize I need to be better at communicating um, and responding quicker. I feel like especially with more kind of like serendipity and more opportunities, more people asking you to look at things or... Um, kind of communicate or get on a call, just really trying to be a better communicator. So I think like recently I've just been investing in like trying to really optimize and automate my system to make it really easy for me to take more calls, but also like not run out of uh, space to like have long periods of time where I could focus because I feel like calls Um, Like doing a long form call with like with you guys or a podcast is really interesting. But oftentimes I get like, oh, can we hop on a call for fifteen minutes um, and talk about this? So like really trying to automate that and and set up a strict system for that has been something that I think the personal user manual has helped me highlight. Like I feel like the most powerful thing of writing something like that is not to just throw it out there, but to use it to like, oh, how can I change my life? So like automating things like Calendly like respond, like uh, keyboard shortcuts for responses. Like, like everyone's telling you, right? Like there's the power to be more productive is in saying no, right? Everyone's saying like, like I think uh, super organizers like Dan Shipper, they just put out uh, a highlight on like Andrew Wilkinson. He's like the owner of uh, the founder of, of Tiny, co-founder of Tiny. And he, he he barely takes a meeting, any meetings. He has keyboards, he has a keyboard shortcut and email shortcut for like four or five different responses that basically he can kind of like knock out any um, requests that you have to talk to him. And he just, because he just wants time to be able to work on work with the companies that, that he he's investing in. Um, And I think like realizing that has been, has been really powerful for me. Um, Some personal highlights about me, I'd say, I think recognizing that I was really coachable helped as well. I think that, right. um, I think a lot of people, it's, it's interesting, right? because when you're young,' it's, it's like kind of hard to find a balance between like, am I solely just curious, or do I need a mentor to help? Not necessarily need, but will I benefit from having a mentor to help me in this regard? Because sometimes it's it's better for for us to or, or like college age students to do something on our on our own, right? Like the internet gives us like so many tools that we can probably do most things. but in some regards, some general aspects, like having a mentor. Can help and i think recognizing that was was
2: important for me yeah
0: uh, was that kyle
2: no you go for it louis
0: i was just gonna say i completely think that it's been one of my most valuable takeaways from doing this podcast is kind of overcoming that uh f- idea that you know i can do everything because truly like you said with the internet you can learn how to do anything super easily in school i think this is a very unproductive belief that we're taught in school is that like learn how to do everything yourself. Like right now I'm stressing about this computer science project on something I have, in any other circumstance, I would have absolutely no problem paying someone to do for me, but that would be, you know, academic dishonesty, probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't do that if you're in school. Uh, but again, that's not the best example because I could just pay someone to do and learning it. But when it is something you wanna learn, like can you imagine had you just said, you know, I'm gonna, te- I'm gonna be my own writing teacher, right? Like Benjamin Franklin, he came up with these exercises where he copied passages out of the journal and would rewrite them from scratch. Like, I'm just going to write my own protocol or I could have David Perel who's crushing it right now be on a one-on-one call with him a couple times a week. And his community, like you accelerate your learning so dramatically by surrounding yourself with the best in the world. And that was the exact framework of another one of our podcast guests. He's like in your twenties, just find the best in the world at what you're doing and learn from them whether you have to pay them or they pay you, but like minimum wage or it's free. That's like, there's no better way to get better at something than to have one-on-one instruction with the best person in the world. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask about you, this idea from your blog as it relates to, to learning and specialization is this idea of a niche from abundance uh, and ikigai. If I'm saying that word correctly, if it's Japanese, I don't really know. I didn't pick up the language. Uh, but could you explain what that is and kind of how it relates to this discussion and what the, the thesis is? Because I really enjoyed that piece, but would love to hear you explain kind of the takeaways from it.
1: Yeah, so I think like this is very much a piece I wrote in the midst of Rite of Passage because everyone was so concerned with what should I specialize in, what should my niche be, I want to grow so I need kind of area of specialization and I feel like um, Rishi talked about this a lot on our podcast together but ikigai is the Japanese term for the reason for being, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly mm-hmm. either, the there's a graph that's really famous about it that's kind of like a four panel venn, venn diagram thing that's more of a western interpretation but i like using it a lot because i feel like it gives you a lot of like questions that you can ask that are really introspective and basically the key the, like definition is it's try, kind of being like a intersection between like what you love doing in the first place but also they, they call it what does the world need but i don't think it's important to look at what the entire world needs like just look at like your thousand true fans or hundred true fans, like what are, what is, what is there some demand for? And then also like, you should have like some, they call it like what you are good at, but I look at it more as like what you enjoy doing and, and what you are interested in. It doesn't have to be one thing. It can be a, a bunch of different things. And the last area is, is a little funny. It's just like, what can you be paid for? So again, that kind of attributes to what is that, what is their demand for? And I kind of looked at this and I was like, yeah, because there's so many different inputs to this, I feel like it's so misunderstood that a niche is small. A niche is not necessarily small, right? Like Costco has a niche, right? But Costco is huge. Costco's niche is that they sell everything in bulk for the cheapest price that you can get it for. But, and, and, and this is in a book that, uh, ebook that recently came out from a good friend, uh, Steph Smith, she leads, um, the hustle at trends growth there. And she's an amazing writer. And she recently launched a book on Gumroad called Doing Content Right. And it's all about like, right? We're in the sea of information where, I don't know the specific stats, but like like 60 million domains were created in Q1 of 2020 or something like that. How can like, is it still worth it to start a blog? Is it still worth it to put content out there if it's just going to get lost? And basically what she was saying is like, when you're looking for a niche, like don't get scared because you're thinking it's so small because even if you cut like such a small slice from that pie and you really become an expert in it, you can leverage it for so much, so much more growth. Like she initially wrote about like remote work. Cause she was like a lived as a digital nomad in like 2015. So like five years before it became mainstream in 2020. Right. And now everyone is reading her stuff, right. Because everyone wants to, to work. Everyone is working remotely. So it's, I mean, obviously there's some level of chance and, and fate and I guess in, in that sense, but the bigger lesson for me there was just like nothing is is that small on the internet.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a blue ocean out there for, for anything that you might decide to go into. And I think starting is like the most important thing, right? I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think it was I think it was my first million. That's another hustle um, brand. But they were talking about how much more valuable it would be for someone to start tweeting about breakdancing and be some authority among 5,000 people about breakdancing than it would be for them to not That's talk about me, their the experiment, way. about their experience. And just like what that content creation can do for you at the end of the day. Um, yeah. And to speak on the the point about how much content's being created, I, I saw this stat. I think Lewis might've told it to me, but it was something like, we read 90,000 words a day between or the average person does between like Instagram and Facebook and all these things that you're seeing and billboards. It's just like people are overcome with information, but if you can really put out quality content, people will, you know, watch it and listen to you and you will grow, but kind of shifting gears now back to a point you made a little while earlier about your mentor and deciding kind of what that looked like and, and, you know, the question is uh, how and why did you get an apprenticeship? And, uh, like, um, would you recommend that to, to anyone? Or, or what situation would you not recommend someone get an apprenticeship?
0: Yeah, Can you uh, backpedal and kind of explain the structure of an apprenticeship, what that looks like in 2020? Because you're not becoming a blacksmith as far as I understand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, not, not a blacksmith. But, yeah, first I think, like, I'm a big fan of my first million as well. I think one thing they do really well is – they talk about stuff that's not like I feel like is is the startup world that is unrelated to like, like or like it's not like the typical like super sexy like startups, right? It's not mm-hmm. like your um, kind of Airbnbs. Your but it's like very very interesting ideas that they bring up. So I just wanted to say that that they the stuff they're doing is is really interesting. And I guess to talk a bit more about my apprenticeship, I I, I don't know if Jack formally calls this call, formally calls it this. Um, but basically I pitched it to him to work at visualized value. After I took those two courses, joined the community. I was like, there are some things I could do here that I think could help. And I think I have ideas to help them grow. And this was a perfect intersection because I was in the middle of rite of passage. We were in class and the topic of the class was cold emails. And I know it's a little unfair for me because it wasn't really a cold email because I would talked with Jack before. But kind of there's so many examples. Like when David was first coming up with, with the North Star podcast, when he was reaching out to Neil deGrasse, Titan, Tyson, of the, uh, Tyler Cowen. Sorry, I got those two kind of combined their names. Right now. Um, but when he was reaching out to these guys, it was just through a simple email. He played to the student role, kind of saying, like, I'm a student. I'm really curious. I want to learn. And I was like, oh, I could do that, too. Um, but I already have a podcast, so maybe I should take that and see if I could work with this guy really look up to. I think the central messaging of visualized Valley really resonated with me. It is kind of a focus on building independent income and mental wealth. And I think like that's so important now because of like the content overload we're seeing kind of the, the, just kind of like there's a lot of stuff out there that, that is that when you see that there's a ton of content out there, that when you see is not really great for your mind. And so we're trying to say, like, we want to improve the quality of information and the and how fast we get it to you um through through visualized value. And so I I cold emailed Jack. Previously it had only been conversations through Twitter DM. I highlighted a couple of different points. I think that's the, the key to a cold email. It's a clear call to action right away. I just said, here I want I w- I want to work for you. Um, but here's a couple ideas I have, right? I'm not just reaching out so. I, I could like, uh, like leverage this brand and this idea, but I actually think there's some things we could change here. And some of those things didn't, didn't come through, but a lot of those changes have been made. I, I think some of the changes right now that, that have been kind of visual and that you can see is we're starting, we're testing an affiliate kind of marketing program. We're not sure if we want to open it up. And even if we do it, would be very kind of boutique and two to three affiliates every time, but Another area is we're launching success stories, which is I've been able to talk with some of the people that have completed both courses and they're launching really cool programs themselves, really cool products themselves. Just learning about how Visualize Value changed, changed their lives and also just working within the community. Um, so kind of operating on a level, writing the community mail drop, it's basically a community-based newsletter where we talk about some of the wins that members of the community had, some new projects that are launching almost like a small premium version of like the indie hackers or product hunt newsletters. Um, But yeah, it's been super rewarding so far. I think I would recommend if to have this sort of like apprenticeship, if if it's more of like a boutique um, kind of business that you have, can have a good relationship with. Like I think the reason that it works between me and Jack is he really lets me like kind of do and pitch products to him because he, he, he trusts me to be able to execute on them. And it before like visualized value was also really small. It was just him and his wife. Right. So like getting to know them and and joining that smaller team, it allows a lot more flexibility for me. I wasn't operating like with multiple levels of bosses in like a big agency or anything like that. I think like really being able to build a sense of trust and have an understanding with who you're working with is, is the key to, if I would recommend having an apprenticeship or, or reaching out. Um, but I've had a lot of people reach out to me who have, after reading the article about, about cold emails and stuff, have have followed up and said like, oh, I've been able to reach out with some people I, I look up to and, and, and work with them. And I think that's really rewarding to, to see on my end. Um, I think that there is definitely so much opportunity for stuff like this. Like you don't have to work at a huge startup right away. You don't have to work at Goldman or you don't have to go to like McKinsey. You can just like get some experience early doing really cool stuff on the internet Um, and also like when I first started it was it was completely unpaid I was like I just want to do this because I'm really interested in the stuff you're doing but now as I kind of put more time and effort into it it's become like a really close working relationship doing a lot of growth stuff as well now I'm trying to figure out how we can grow it um, apart from just Instagram and Twitter which Jack is completely masterful at great at social media great at design that is completely his forte but just Um, giving him small suggestions on on what could help grow and i think that's that's also something they appreciate right because even though um you might not be as experienced with them in some areas you can leverage what you know so i was like i think that visualized value could really benefit from um doing some more things things on on email doing some email funnels um doing growth on things like reddit or indie hackers there's a huge um Oh, they'd crush indie
0: hackers, dude.
1: Yeah. Like if you're doing a case study on kind of your growth and really telling a story through your journey. So we've already been working on a couple drafts for that. So it's, it's just been a really great experience.
0: That's great. And I have two comments to make here Then Kyle's question. First of all, I completely agree with you about the, the rewards of doing the type of work that, you know, the three of us are trying to do, putting out content and sharing ideas and interviewing people is that reward is someone takes, this is exactly what, you know, David Perel said to you on his episode is someone took your idea ran with it and something good happened to them as a result of it. So, you know, you taught all these people out cold emailing. They did the same. They went out and cold emailed and now they have these great opportunities for these great life changing conversations. And for us, that's totally the same thing. And I just want to share with you that, I mean, seeing you as a peer to us, you know, you're around the same age, you're doing the same kind of work and seeing some of the success that you've been able to have has been super inspiring for Kyle and I just to lift the bar for ourselves and say, you know, Brandon's crushing it. Uh, we gotta, we gotta step up our game. Cause this dude's, he's killing it. I mean, I've wanted to start a newsletter for, for months, uh, maybe even years. And I still haven't like gotten it fully set up yet, but it's like, I'm taking the first steps. I had an onboarding call with a rep at HubSpot to like teach me the basics of it. And like, because seeing you crushing it and having 2000 people on your list, when I've been telling myself for months just to get it started. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, And then one comment here about something I know you got to get a Redbubble account for visualized value. Cause some of the little designs, they would crush it on Redbubble. Kyle made some of them as lock screen for a couple of days. The one on compound interest, like I would put that on my laptop put it right here on my yeti. <laughs> if you get put those in little like stickers, I mean people would, would sure. put those on stuff for sure. So that's just one idea. I would Jim. definitely buy one. That
2: uh the Visualized Value
0: Sticker Store would crush, dude.
2: Exponential growth where it says this is this is pointless. That's my background right now. I love it. Um, uh yeah
1: yeah. I have the one that's uh it's like don't chase something. Chase dopamine. Don't chase dopamine or or something like that. I have that one on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted to make a comment, too, before I ask my question, just about it kind of ties together what you're saying earlier about a systemized way of thinking and and doing things Um, and oh, a systemized way of thinking and doing things and making money and how you don't have to work at Goldman. You don't have to work at McKinsey, but kind of that that thought process uh, can get broken i was i was reading the the twitter thread by natal iason the other day about systemizing your thinking and one of his tweets in that thread was about how if you can go out and produce four thousand dollars or some number around there in one month it really breaks a lot of that that mental like uh stress that you have or you can like you know that you can make things happen you can rely on yourself and i think that getting to that point is is something that I really want to do in order for myself to be comfortable not needing to go out and get that
0: job with McKinsey that or that job more. with Goldman. Yeah, exactly. Especially all of your peers all day. If that's all they talk about in accounting school.
2: Oh man, you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard the words EY or Deloitte in a sentence. It's horrible. But um, Today, alone.
0: To-
2: <laughs> well, not anymore. Cause don't major I don't in accounting, have any,
0: Brandon.
2: I don't have any classes accounting is anymore. not a
0: major in happiness.
2: Um, but back to my question, I just wanted to, to ask this quickly about Jack and you guys' relationship. I know that you, you're learning a lot from him, but is there one lesson that you can distill out of that, that uh, kind of changed the way that you look at the world over the last few months?
1: Yeah. I, just following up on Nat's Twitter thread, I think Nat is great. And it, I, I was on a call with him earlier this week and it was so funny because we actually went to the same high school we went to the same boarding school on the East coast, which was just hilarious. And um, we we just got to talking about that, but yeah, following up on, on that question, I think like Nat and Jack both kind of mentioned this. I feel like Jack even breaks it down even more. He had one tweet that was just like, make like a challenge to make a dollar online, just make $1 online and your entire world review will change. Right. Um, I think my first dollars online was, I used to write for like the medium partner pro program. And I think one of my articles, I think it was actually highlighting one of Pomp's like growth, like some of pumps growth strategies. I think that one got like 20 or something thousand views or something. It was crazy. And, and, and I was like, damn, like there is potential for here. There's, there's a thirst for, for content that is, that is good and well curated. So I think that that's what, that's one lesson from, from Jack that, I kind of like even scaling down from Nat's loss. And if you, if you just get through that mental barrier, it is, it is really powerful. And then I think it's also just his story of how he started Visualize Value is really interesting, right? Like he worked in kind of the agency world for so long and he created his own to try and go solo. But he, what he was realizing was that he couldn't really scale without also scaling like his time commitment and his effort. And that's not what he wanted kind of going into the future. And I think like, just like seeing that um, understanding from him early, just also pushes you to know that like, oh, there's other parts to wealth than just solely the monetary value. There's like the time and the the enjoyment as well. I mean, everyone's seen Naval's um, thread. Everyone, it, it seems like a lot of people that are that are making uh, kind of their independent income or passive income attribute some of the lessons to that. So. If anyone, I feel like everyone should have seen it, but if anyone hasn't seen it, I would recommend reading that to, to get your start, I guess.
0: I cannot recommend more highly the Naval How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky. I mean, I think it's something that should be reread. Kyle, you have a comment? I was going to say, or, or listen
2: to the podcast because they I listen like to the
0: podcast. podcast as well. We should just go back and even on episodes where it's not mentioned, just put it in the show notes. Just like. <laughs> In this interview, we mentioned the Naval how to get rich without getting lucky and people think we're smart because we put that in our show notes and they're gonna be like, I found that from Lewis and Kyle. It doesn't even matter if the guest doesn't bring it up, right? Just like it's that good of a recommendation. Uh, and I actually found it from the newsletter of one of our previous guests, Thomas Lernovichu's. And I was like, if Thomas is listening to this, I got to listen to this. And then, uh, so that we'll put it in his show notes. It'll be our first place where we plant that seed. Uh, one question from you also going from bring myself back on track. Another thing I really learned from one of our <clears> is Will Brown uh, is the idea of bottlenecks. Uh, so what is some, everything you've described, right. Has been really great. You're like, this is going well. My Twitter's blowing up. I'm helping Jack. We're, we're crushing it. We're building community. What are some struggles you're facing? Or what are some of uh, the, the pain points or difficulties you've been encountering on all the work that you've been doing?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's mainly dealing with the people. not dealing with the people, but like trying to come to the conclusion that, um, for the podcast, like it's not going to be super, super niche, right? Like, um, and trying to explain that to different people has been, has been an interesting experience, but I would also say another, not necessarily pain point, but just trying to figure out the correct posting schedule or growth strategies for the podcast, like going forward. I think that right now it's, I'm also like exploring how to do YouTube with the podcast and I have a great, uh, editor that that is a good friend um, that helps me with that but just trying to see like what are some ways to improve the growth does that mean like doing more than one episode a week does that mean cutting up a bunch of different video clips with different time stamps and doing that um, but just thinking about that has been has been very very uh, interesting and it's been a conversation I've, I've always been having I feel like this past week, I've also gotten on different calls with different people. I, I think I posted earlier this week about like, I was having like kind of a a, a, a contemplation of like, should I change the, the name of my show? Or should I do this? And a bunch of people reached out and they were like, oh, we can help you with uh, kind of your branding um, and positioning and things like that. And it's just been really interesting to like talk with these different people and, and see where to go from there. Um, so yeah, I'd say like, Trying to think about the future of the podcast has been um, kind of like the biggest area of of, of thought and effort these past couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, I think that Lewis and I have had probably the exact same conversation, uh, yeah. the exact same number of times. You know, our podcast is just called the Lewis and Kyle Show, and we pretty much talk to whoever we find interesting, whenever we find them interesting. So uh, explaining that niche to to different people that we get on the phone with has been a problem um for sure but you know not having a niche is also a niche and and talking to interesting people is a niche and uh, i think a lot of the intrinsic value that we've gotten out of this podcast just from the conversations is like uh, the the conversations that we have with people that we wouldn't have if we had a niche have been so valuable that it's like why would we why would we box ourselves into some small corner of this of this population
0: um
2: Real quick, before you ask
0: your next question, I had a comment I wanted to make. Just it was not a question. That. I was going to say. that. I, I think, thought you did your question. Um, that was a different um than uh. I was like going to say
2: that student mindset. I think I think that you should change the name. I think that you'll. <laughs> um, I think you'll appeal to a larger audience if yeah. you, if you change the name. I, I was going to comment on your thing about, about uh, a name to change it to, but I couldn't think of one. I didn't like
0: either of the ones that you had suggested, so. Hmm. Yeah, I think that,
1: much in the planning way. stage of that one, mm-hmm.
0: I think an interesting comment there. This is not what I was about to say about the student mindset. So I was listening to a, a podcast today with book thinkers. He brought on Evan Carmichael and they're going through some ideas about how book thinkers, which is, you know, this Instagram account for books could create products about personal development and the host of the podcast was like, what if I called it, you know, like 15 ways to grow 1% better every day. And he's like, the, the guest was like, that's a terrible idea because, you're trying to brand this, your goal that you expressed to me is for beginners who aren't into personal development to read this as their guide. And you're gonna scare all of them away with a title like that. Uh, so, whereas, you know, my idea with you're, you're taught you to love the student mindset is where you know Kyle and I, who are deep in like the personal development space, obviously are gonna get like, oh, you know, it's not college student forever. It's always a learner, lifelong learner. Like there's always something people can teach me. And that makes a lot of sense. Whereas, you know, some random person who's not as deep in the space yet might be like college student podcast, college student graduation, like I'm not 20 anymore. Uh, so I think that might make some sense, but it's just who, again, the purpose and the direction for it. But the comment I was going to make, Kyle, and this is something I wanted to mention earlier, when you were bringing up, Brandon, the, the point about, um, forgetting the name of the person who made the idea, the, the person from the hustle, what was your name? Steph Smith?
1: Steph Smith, yeah. Yeah.
0: So when Steph had talked about, or you, you had talked about how you know, you don't need to have this groundbreaking niche. She doesn't have to be totally interesting. Like she, she can talk about digital nomadism in 2020 and still get attention if she makes good work and brings a new angle to it. And I think one thing Kyle and I should lean into that we haven't is like, you know, we can, we people are like, what's the point, point of your podcast? And it's really, in my opinion, no different than Tim Ferriss show, except from the perspective of 20 year olds who aren't successful yet. And I think we've kind of run away from just like that copy paste branding of like, this is the Tim Ferriss show. We want to unpack high performers in all the fields we're interested in, whether that's business, whether that's fitness, whether that's health, whether that's writing, right? Or just Twitter. unpack high performers or Twitter, right? People who are crushing on Twitter, Unpack anyone who's doing a great job of something we want to do, ask them habits and routines, right? Like stealing all of Tim's messaging, all of his purpose, but we're, 20, we're 21, 20-year-old 20 hosts who haven't achieved that level of success yet, who don't have that audience. And we're kind of more in the learn and apply role. And I think we've kind of been afraid to just say that's what we're out here to do when I think it perfectly describes what we're out here to do. And I think there's nothing wrong with just borrowing that niche, but the fact that we're bringing a different perspective to it of being 20 years old and not successful yet is the niche in and of itself. So I appreciate you making that stuff, Smith, comment earlier because that really kind of got me on that train of thought.
1: No, she's great. I recommend getting her stuff. I think, yeah, um, not even just her book, but she has a couple really great, like, long-form essays. Her most famous one, I don't know, I think you... I think it might have been like passed around but it's called how to be great just be good repeatedly um it went super viral a couple of years ago but yeah some of her stuff is amazing
0: fantastic i'll have to check it out and the story i mean i don't need to get too into steph smith here of how she sold that looks pretty cool too she just like put out a feeler on twitter like if i wrote a book about x would people be interested and it got like a couple hundred likes and a couple dozen retweets and she's like well that's if it's a hundred dollar product and that's Twelve buyers. That's a thousand bucks, and it's gonna take me ten hours to write. That's a positive trade off, so I'm gonna do it. I think uh, so that's a cool Sievers. story on its own right.
2: I think Derek Sievers did the exact same thing on his Twitter. He was like, "If I compiled all my blog posts and sold it as a book, would you buy it?" And a bunch of people said, "Of course I would." And so he did it, and it's now like, it's has right, sale, and He's probably making tons of money off of it.
1: Definitely is. And that Elison just sells sells his book notes. and makes yep. a ton of money. But, yeah,
2: but I don't if know you if you read. read-
0: I think we're about to say the same thing, but you can do it. Uh,
2: I don't know if you read his blog post um, about making a blog, but his graph about his revenue <laughs> will blow your mind from the beginning of quarantine to now with the Rome course. It's crazy how much money he's able to to generate off of off of Rome and the course that he created. I'm sure it's you know joining Forte Labs. It's
0: only going to go way up from there. Like, you want to move now to the the bonus questions, Kyle?
2: Let's do it. Absolutely.
0: So first question we have for you, uh, this is something you probably get asked a lot. So I apologize for, I hate, we never want to be the repeat question guys, but I haven't heard your answer. Uh, so someone like you working with all these people who are literally like their brand is here's how you can learn how to make your own money off the internet. So you don't have to go on the conventional path. Uh, so why are you still in school right now? Or what's your thinking there? What's, what's your mind at with college?
1: Yeah, I think I've gotten asked this every single conversation I have, but I think <laughs> So it's good, right? Because I my, my answer will be hopefully decently rehearsed and, and decently uh, explained. But for me, I think, right, it's, like I said, it's still very much in the searching phase. And I feel like that's perfectly, perfectly okay for someone, right, who, who has hasn't had their first year of college, right? Some people just know kind of what they want to do early. Um, but yeah, for me, it's very much I feel like I made this decision because I recognize I could do both and balance both. And, and I see merits to both. Right. Um, I think th- I can still do the podcast newsletter and work with Jack. Um, and that's kind of like helping me grow my audience, helping me f- uh, look at these different tracks. And I could still go to school where I still have um, some areas that I, I, I personally, I'm really interested in history. So I, I really want to still learn that and look at that. And I think that probably Columbia has some of the best teachers and and, and courses for that. And so that's really rewarding to me in terms of kind of what I'm looking at just from a personal interest perspective. And I think that will only help me become a better host, better writer. Um, I think that it's, it's just the perfect balance for me pretty much is is how I've been explaining it to people. I think that like, obviously everyone is trying to, to take a positive outlook on, 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 what's happened with COVID. And I, I honestly think that going to school remotely has, has been helpful because I don't, not that I don't want to, but because I can't socialize as much, right? I have time to to talk with these people on the internet instead. So that's that's, that's my explanation.
2: I'm excited to see how your answer to that question changes over time, because I think that the, uh, I think the frequency and intensity with which you're asked will, will only increase as you go through <laughs> college and as you're Podcast and as your Twitter and all these things grow, um, but yeah, I think I think college is is really a great time. Uh, you know, being at college is a lot different, and being around people is a lot different. So I I have a different experience. But on to our next question, um, we're stealing this directly from Peter Thiel and the book Zero to One. I'm heard, I'm sure that you've heard of it before, and if you're listening, you've heard of it, but. Um, what important truth do do very few people agree with you on? So, what do you believe that other people don't really believe?
1: Yeah, it's overrated. <laughs> I think that one area that Jack and I recently have been talking about, um, because we're launching, uh, he's launching Value App. It's uh, kind of the add Value tag on Twitter, and, and it's it's focused on. It's really focused on giving people information. Like, like the one thing is that, right. The entire concept of mental wealth is kind of counterintuitive with what, where visualized value is based, right. Because if we're talking about mental wealth, like we should probably not be using Twitter and Instagram and these very addictive social media um, platforms to get your attention. Right. Um, so that's the idea of value up to have some long form content in a very streamlined place where you're not, gonna get distracted by twitter and and one of the conversations we we're having about that is like what kind of areas do we want to cover with those posts and and what what are some of the things that so the fundamental truths that that some people might might um disagree with and, and one of the things is that i feel like people are so stooped in in negativity about where our world is headed and where our world is 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 what it what it looks like that they don't look at what it's become and what has grown and changed i think it's that typical argument of right like if you like by all metrics um everything has 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 been uh, has been improving since whatever kind of date you try and measure from obviously there's dips and divots and and 2020 will, will rule as an anomaly in that sense but let's hope you really look at it um there there's this book that I I I can't come to to name right now, but is it factfulness? No, it's it's another one. I I I'll, I can forward it to you guys later. And you guys can put it in the show notes. But it's basically all around this idea that basically it's it's not as doomed as everything seems. I feel yeah. like everyone that's that's been everyone's top of mind so far, and then it is. I mean, I'm not like a I'm not saying like climate change doesn't exist or anything like that. But I'm just saying like there's the negativity in society right now currently outweighs the positivity that should be there Um, I'm not saying that the positivity might override the negativity like in terms of the ratio that it stands but I feel like it's heavily heavily underrated at this current moment
2: well I think I'm going to try and kind of tie that together with what you said before but like I, I watched The Social Dilemma, shout out to Netflix, and um, it's all about how each person is kind of um, put into a box, and they're given facts to make them look at the world, and um, the more attention you give to one thing, the the more attention, or, or the bigger in your head that thing will be, and like, if you're on Twitter and you're looking at things that are negative, it's going to show you more things that are negative, and it's a lot easier to, to digest or more interesting to digest that stuff i think and you just get rolling down this hill and that's kind of the same thing about you know how um social media you know you don't want to be looping people into social media to give them all this value on visualized value um i said i was going to try and i think i'm i'm failing
0: i'll hop in here
2: yeah go for it lewis
0: So I think one thing that I found very interesting about what you're about to say with the visualized value, Brandon, about how, you know, do we want to be putting this on Twitter? I think there's nothing wrong with if people are going to be on this, uh, people are going to be on this tool, right? Like, unless your message is I'm going to get people off of Twitter. I think there's nothing wrong with trying to be that person. That's like putting the needle in the haystack that gets, catches someone's attention. Like they find a visualized value tweet and they're like, oh shit, I was wasting time, time to go do something better. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with doubling down your Twitter strategy and putting more and more content on there and being like, this is a good idea in the sea of chaos. And I could rant for a long time, Kyle, about uh, the things Brandon was just talking about. I 1,000% agree with you, right? Obviously, I'm gonna say, this comes from a point of ridiculous privilege to say how strongly I agree with you and climate change is a very real problem and there's a lot of not so good things on in the world. But I think it's one of the most powerful and important and underrated concepts right now is just stopping from a micro scale, right? looking around at your personal situation and saying, wow, things are actually pretty fucking good, right? I mean, like if you read just one history book, if you read even just one historical fiction book and you're like, wow, 300 years ago, people didn't have fucking toothpaste, right? Like my personal moment right now is pretty good. I get to wake up. I'm in a comfortable bed. I don't have to worry about foraging for food. I don't have to worry about like all of these very challenging things. Like if something bad happens to me medically, if I got an ear infection, if I got a toothache, all of these things that used to like destroy your existence are fixed. So that's like a micro scale, right? Like you go to the grocery store, any craving you possibly have could be gratified at, in a 10 minute target run. Any physical item you need for anything you probably want can be gratified by a two to three day purchase on Amazon. It's like, it's a quarantine. I want to learn this new hobby. I'm going to get whatever the heck I need, all this new equipment for this super niche thing I didn't even know about a week ago delivered to my front door. And that's a level of access that most people listening to this podcast probably have. And just appreciating like those very small in the moment levels of gratitude is hugely important. And then on the macro scale, right, it's the factfulness by Hans Rosling, Bill Gates, you know, saves the world kind of thing, real life superhero. Like, let's look at infant mortality over the past 100 years. Let's look at polio and all these other terrible diseases that used to, like, literally destroy hundreds of thousands of people's lives every single year that just aren't problems anymore. And I think that's a huge problem with mainstream media and, like, the information that people consume. Is it doesn't put any attention into promoting these things. And this is why a lot of the time I'm the not social media guy, because most people aren't going to have the, these tools aren't, aren't built for you to curate your feed in a way that benefits you, right? The incentive of all of these tools is how do I get this person to spend the most amount of time on it and positive energy, positive energy, positive energy, motivation to go to important things that aren't this is not going to keep you on the platform. It's controversy. It's comparing yourself to others. Is these moments that are going to draw you into a rabbit hole and ruin your day. Uh, which is why again, to repeat my ideas just a second ago, putting, having visualized value in other accounts that are like, wait, here's a nugget of gold in the sea of trash. Like go do something else, go read this long form blog post. I think are a good things. So that's kind of a long winded answer to the question. No one asked me that I just wanted to get off my chest that, you know, maybe things aren't, aren't as bad as we think they are. And I could go on this for, for a long time, but next Very question,
1: summation next of question. what i say
0: <laughs> yeah I, i'm with you i passionately agree with you so if, if, if i was the whole world your answer wouldn't count for the peter theo question because then the whole world would agree with you but i'm not uh so i, I was happy to tag team there on the same note uh i want to ask you a question about dopamine detoxes you know so maybe you agree with what i just said and you're like wow these tools best interest is for me to not have a good day that's shitty uh what's a dopamine detox and what's yep. your experience with it
1: I try and do one once a month or so. I think that it w- it's basically uh, one day or a third of a day or half a day or however long you can dedicate to it where you just focus on, you put everything away. And it's depending on the level of intensity. I think the very basics that you need to put away is obviously all your screens, all your TV, all your notifications, everything, um, securely store, uh, physically put away. Um, and then focusing instead of, of on different tasks that you want to work on, or a lot of it is focused on just spending time in the moment. I feel like for me, the best part of doing it is, is going on a walk or, or, or writing um, on a journal. Um, and I think that a lot of people really go to extremes where they're like, you're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to do this, do that. And, and I think that that doesn't work for me. Um, it works for other people in terms of like, just, they talk about like how much, how like powerful the clarity is for them if they like truly don't do anything. But for me, I I just end up feeling like I'm just sitting there and nothing's really happening. But the the idea behind it is that it shows your body and your mind that there's just this one full stop where you can be like, oh, I can operate without these things. And just by doing that, I, I try and do it like once a month or so. But just by doing that once, like you're kind of constantly reminded, like in the future, when you kind of feel that urge that like you don't need it. So it's a it's almost like giving you the, the weaponry to like be able to reduce your screen time normally as well and be able to say no to those type of things. So that's kind of how I would describe it. It's a very broad term. So I'm sure a lot of people have different takes, but that's kind of my experience with it and, and how I go about doing it.
0: I love that. And I think it's it's hugely important. And this is an idea I've uh, written out in a blog post I wrote like two years ago when I was living in Israel. is like, what can we learn from like ancient religions and the Jews, which I'm a Jew. So when I say the Jews, I'm including myself there, have the idea of Shabbat, which is a weekly dopamine detox. And it's like, wow, things, good things happen when we routinely put all of the distracting impulses uh, that are new to society away from us and let ourselves just like focus on things in the moment. And you no, know, you don't have to like eat. Just I've heard people either fast on a dopamine detox and do like a dopamine detox and like a input detox And also just, or they're like, no, I'm just going to eat like unseasoned chicken because that would boost my dopamine if I had salt and pepper on it. So I think you have, you have a good approach there. Uh, Kyle, you want to ask the next question?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, you've accomplished a ton in in the last seven months since COVID began, all of which you probably wouldn't have been able to predict beforehand. So I I know this is a hard question to answer, but what are your five year goals from five years from now? What do you want to be doing and have accomplished?
1: I think the goal for me in five years is is definitely to still have the podcast going um, and to have it at some sort of scale by then where it's really being able to, to get to a lot of people, because I think at the end, it's, it's all about presenting these new and cool opportunities that I was only able to find on Twitter to, to everyone to see, right? Like basically kind of that whole four hour work week, like revolution where people were like, Oh damn, like this is possible getting right, getting that, um, story out there more another five-year goal is I think right because five years is is smartly taken because it'd be after I'm I'm done with college right so I had to pick something I'm doing by then but um I, I, I get this question a lot and I think that for me it'd be at least testing the waters myself with with trying to see like oh like what would working for myself look like but also continue to expand into and to add to the different mentors that I have, because I feel like that is important, right? And I feel like as you grow, right, you can have different mentors for different areas that that you want to specialize in. So those are two other goals I would add. Um, yeah, I think I think those two are, are are pretty solid.
2: I think that's great. And for a uh, a time stamp, how many Twitter followers do you think you'll have in five years?
1: Five years. Uh, uh-huh. Who knows what Twitter will look like then, but assign a number. You gotta say it. I'd say a hundred, a hundred k, hundred. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say Kyle along the same lines of questions. Part of the reason, Brandon, obviously, on uh, the past seven months, you've accomplished more than enough for us to like think you're a great guest for the show. But I think one of the most exciting things for Kyle and I about bringing someone you on, someone like you on at this point in your life, is like five years from now when you are at that 150k followers and you've graduated Columbia or dropped out or whatever the heck you're going to (laughs) do. And you have your own online course or your email list, you know, isn't 2000s, 200,000 or something crazy like that. And it's like, this is, I might, I don't know if it's the first, but it's like among the first interviews uh, where you came on and it's going to be like, I have this vision, you know, of like you see those, those videos, this is getting way too romanticized here. Uh, but you see, you see that video of like Bill Gates jumping over a table on like some like MSNBC interview. It's like, look at me, I'm Bill Gates. I'm 20. I'm an entrepreneur and I can jump really high. And it's like, I feel like when Kyle and I bring on young people like yourselves and we're, we're young people as well uh, that we think are, that we really think we're betting on, you know, by bringing you on and saying, this is someone we know that five years out for now is going to be doing super interesting stuff. And like to be that historic record of like where they were at this point in their life is super super cool uh so question for you just a sign off signing off question if people enjoyed some of the ideas you shared with us in this conversation uh and want to learn more from your brain uh where can they find you obviously twitter but what's where should we send people if they're interested in all the messaging you're putting out
1: yeah my dms are always open on twitter so if you have any questions there reach out there Uh, my podcast is um, all, my podcast and my newsletter are kind of like the other two main mechanisms and they're linked in my Twitter profile. So if you go look there, you can find all my details.
0: What if you're someone like me who uh, for most of my life up until recently didn't have Twitter? How can they find you that way?
1: They can just find me at my website, just my name and super simple to find.
0: Okay. BrandonZang.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on with us. We really appreciate this and this was fun.
1: It was super fun on my end too. So I'm,
2: I'm looking forward to hearing it. And that wraps up our interview with Brandon. It was a really, a really good conversation. Just a couple of takeaways from me. Uh, one of which is just that it was really good to, to hear someone come to the same conclusion about about finding his niche. You know, he just he doesn't want to niche down too far because he is really interested in a lot of things, and he doesn't want to box himself in. I feel like we're kind of in that same boat. Um, the next of which is apprenticeship. Um, you know, he's gotten a lot of value out of working with Jack at Visualize Value. And um, it's interesting. I wrote like it's a new way of learning, but really it's it's the oldest way of learning. So it's interesting to see that that come back. And it'll be great to see how he moves forward with that with Jack. And then the last of which which is so obvious to us through so many of our um, our interviews is just the power of Twitter and and what it can do for you. And yet it's not fully taken advantage of by us or. Really, by by many people at all, you know, it takes hard work, but it can it can produce some amazing results. What do you think, Lewis?
0: Yeah, I also came up with a list of three takeaways. Some similar to yours, a couple little different. First one, it's not too late to do content if you're going to do it right, and if you have an interesting take. Again, you don't have to have a completely original idea. If you're providing a new perspective or a better angle on something that's already popular, that is a form of value creation, and that is probably worth your time and can blow doing. Brandon said, you know, he had a medium article about pump where he just talked about Palm's best ideas and got like 20,000 views. So, I mean, there's always opportunities for interesting content. Uh, second is the power of making friends on the internet. I think, you know, he talked about a lot of the benefits he's seen from masterminding and just co-working with random people he met from Twitter, or right a passage and continuing relationships with people. He's literally never met in person. Uh, and just before, you and know, I are doing this conversation. Now I had a a chat with someone who I've made friends with just from a Facebook group that we both belong in with like an Alex Benayan fan club group. And it's like, we've had a couple of conversations now and he and I are sharing ideas and improving uh, each other's projects just because we've made friends over the internet. Third one here is, this one's the common one I've said a lot of times throughout many episodes is how mentors and paying for a coach or paying for uh, the right resources can accelerate your progress. I think, you know, Brandon's a super smart guy, but obviously a huge amount of his Uh, not but obviously but he's clearly been accelerated his progress even more dramatically because he invested in himself in these great resources and these great coaches and these great tools and that's allowed him to reach a higher form of expression or a higher level of strategy and effectiveness much more quickly and a community behind him that's really amplifying all of his efforts so those are my takeaways from this conversation i like to leave you all with a call to action if i can think of one a pretty easy one from this conversation two actually Uh, First one is a personal user manual. I think that's an interesting exercise. Everyone could try for themselves. Brandon has a really good example of that on his website, brandonsang.com. Not sure if that's how you say it, but it's phonetic. So that'll help you find it easier. Uh, Second one is to make your first dollar online. That's a cool challenge and the mental landscape or how that changes the way you think about the world and the way you think about, you know, making money and value creation. If you can just make a dollar on the internet, sell a design on a website or do Write an article or get paid through the medium partner program is just once you feel even just a small sense of possibility it changes the way that you look at things so two challenges two calls to action for those interested in taking them but that's all for this episode uh, again if it's your first time listening there's a couple of ways for you to help us out or to support the show or to keep up with us we have a newsletter you can go to our website lewisandkyla.com there's opt-in forms throughout the website if you want to get updates about what we're doing to your inbox just like i clearly got an email because the notification went off twice in this little dialogue Otherwise, we also have social media accounts where we post updates about what we're doing, talk about the show, post sound bites, post fun clips. Uh, you can find us at Lewis Kyle Show on all major platforms. If you want to help us grow, the two most impactful ways for you to do that, first of all, leaving a rating or review on iTunes and subscribing. Second of all, is just good old word of mouth. Tell someone about the show. If you liked it, share the link, let them know what we're doing and why they should listen. That's all for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. See ya.